Hello, listeners. I must apologize for the lack of activity. I know you all are chomping at the bit, working from home, and just want to hear what's going on outside in the world. Unfortunately, I haven't had any guests for some time. However, that may actually be a positive. I say that because I think, despite the pandemic, more folks are getting back to work. There's more clients to work with, so they've actually had difficulty appearing on the show. So maybe there is actually some good news on that side. On the flip side, I figured I wanted to do something, but I've never felt I was quite capable of it, which is to actually have a podcast episode with just me and no guest. Um, However, this time I believe I actually have plenty of content I can share to fill up an episode. And so what I want to talk about is my turtleneck project. To summarize, I've been working on turtlenecks made in the U.S., wanted to actually get into production and, and start selling. Unfortunately, I've come into a couple roadblocks, and this most recent one happened this week, and unfortunately may be shutting down the project for some time. Uh, in essence, might be the death of the project once again. However, fear not, the project has died multiple times before, and I've always been able to revive it. So there is hope I can bring this back. Now, maybe you want to know a little bit about the the backstory and, and all that, and that's what I wanted to share. Uh, unfortunately, I didn't necessarily have a running diary or audio diary of the project. It actually stretches back a couple of years, but I figure I can do my best, maybe summarize it. And if this is actually something you all are interested in listening to, I may be able to have some sort of audio diary for some of the other projects I'm working on. So how about this? So I'll be splitting up the backstory of this turtleneck project into two episodes. This episode will be more about the genesis and everything up until the beginning of this year. And the next episode, if you go on and just skip to that, we'll actually explain everything that happened in these past few months, which is when I found the new factory and got some more traction and was actually very, very close to production. However, uh, all of a sudden this week, um, the project ended. So again, fast forward to the next episode if you want to just hear about what happened recently. And if you want to hear the long story, you can listen to this one as well. The very beginning of this project was actually just amassing this uh, pile of vintage sweaters. I'm talking about vintage Scottish English sweaters, Alan Payne, Valentine, McGeorge, and Peel, Barry, uh, those sort of sweaters, which um, decades ago, some of them I guess are still in business, but decades ago, uh, they made a particular sweaters and you can tell based on the tags and you could find them on eBay and, and whatnot. And boy, they were really, really nice sweaters. You compare those sweaters to anything you find these days, even even high-end stuff, There, there is a difference. And maybe there are things that can actually compare. However, whatever I've found that is actually really good contemporary stuff is very, very, very expensive. So um, I think one of the big differences was the quality of the yarn. There is... Very little pilling on on these vintage sweaters. They've been worn for decades, and I have some, and I've even worn them quite a bit. And there's just no pilling at all. 
it's just the quality is different. Yes, you can go buy lamb's wool cashmere these days, which is what these vintage sweaters are made of, but it seems to be something different in the water or different in the process. Just something different has made these uh, sweaters um, come out differently. The next thing I would say is maybe the fit is a bit different. Obviously, contemporary fit uh, of sweaters is not exactly the same as the vintage. Vintage, to me, is actually a bit looser. It's maybe a bit more comfortable. It's not by any means perfect. I, I'm not really a fan of either. I think I have something in my mind of what they should fit, which uh, is another reason why I started to make my own. But I think the main reason was having own many of these vintage sweaters you really want to be able to to buy them um but you have to scour ebay or or whatnot and that really doesn't seem right that you can't buy something decent or something these days cannot be made uh, considering that it certainly is possible to make things they exist it's just for whatever reason you can't get good quality sweaters anymore or at least for a price that isn't you know, thousands of dollars. So, okay, at some point I'd like to try to make some sweaters because it really sucks to compromise. You have to you know, not be able to choose your colors. You, you can't get a sweater when you want a sweater and all that uh, because everything available that's good is secondhand. So that was the genesis for creating these sweaters. Next, I decided to find a factory based in uh, England, Scotland, to make these sweaters, I figured they would have the pedigree and resources and they'd be at ease in having them make something that um, they already are making with some slight modifications. Now, I know I said the contemporary sweaters can't really compare with vintage sweaters, even those made in England and Scotland these days. However, uh, the current factories in England and Scotland are making sweaters similar to what I'm making, and I figured that would be a good starting point and make the whole project a little easier. I found one and it turns out you deal with an agent for some of these and fortunately I live in New York so finding an agent in New York was not too difficult and we got together and it seemed like we had a plan which was they could make sweaters however I'd be modifying something from their catalog so what I did was I asked can you send something in my size which is a 38 and after weeks and lots of back and forth emails it turns out they could not they did not have any 38s on hand and they did not know when they would get 38s on hand and it just seemed like we were getting nowhere and if it was going to be this difficult just to get something that was already in stock or should be in stock in their catalog i figured dude, this is going to be really difficult to even get something which is custom or at least in my specs so that was the first i guess death of this sweater quick painless Nevertheless, it was already a setback, and I guess this is just foreshadowing what would be to come. However, there was actually a guest on this uh, podcast, and I mentioned this the agent to him, and he actually knew this agent because this agent is somewhat involved in the clothing industry. And he said, well, you know, it's not so bad that you didn't get any further because he's... I've worked with him where I've heard people work with him, and it never turns out well. So um, count count your... Count yourself lucky that you avoided that pitfall. So um, maybe that was actually a good thing. Who knows? But you know, either way, it made me think, okay, well, maybe working overseas is, with an agent is going to be tricky because working with an agent, even that one conversation, was not really the same as speaking with a person who actually runs the factory and visiting the factory. And it was certainly more of a transactional business type relationship. And 
to be honest, I have a day job where I, all that I do is that sort of stuff. And um, when I work on these projects, I would, I would like to actually establish a human relationship, um, some rapport and, you know, feel like I'm working with people as opposed to, you know, employees and folks where their priority is, is just money, money, money and efficiency. And um, they're, they're trying to see dollar cents and everything. So probably not the end of the world that didn't work out. However, I felt maybe let's find someone in New York. So I had to do quite a bit of searching because not any old factory can just make sweaters, even if they're a clothing factory. You have to be a special factory with all those machines. Uh, and fortunately, I did find one in New York, and we met up, and or they were able to agree, okay, they can make custom sweaters, but you need a knitwear designer. Again, this is different because the previous factory said, you work with our back catalog and just modify it and we can do that. This one, I guess, was more custom um, because you need a knitwear designer and kind of build everything from scratch. Now, I had no idea what a knitwear designer was. Again, completely new to this. It seemed like a knitwear designer is somewhat similar to a pattern maker, which is what I have worked with before. Pattern makers, as mentioned on other episodes, uh, create this template, um, which is on paper patterns, for clothes. That way, the cutter, they can cut the fabric exactly as the designer intended because all these uh, curves and shapes and dimensions are on that pattern. Now, a knitwear designer, something similar. However, when working with sweaters and the machines that make them, you actually kind of input a lot of things into these machines. So generally, the knitwear designer, at least from what I saw, creates sort of a spreadsheet with lots of numbers, uh, which tie to particular attributes on the sweater. So obviously I wasn't going to be able to do this myself, so I didn't need a knitwear designer, and I guess the factory did not have one. So I asked, and they actually recommended one who was a client of theirs. The next thing was, again, different than the uh, first English factory, was I also had to source my own yarn. There was no yarn I could just be using. And I didn't really appreciate that many factories I'd worked with before this all had material that I didn't, that made it so I did not have to source anything my own. So finding yarn, that's, was also new to me. So a lot of searching went on on Google. Um, I did ask folks, but honestly, nobody could give me any recommendations for U.S. yarn, which is what I wanted because I'm working in the U.S. and I want to be able to communicate, establish rapport, and have less of a business transactional relationship. Instead, just have a more human relationship and the experience with working or attempting to work with that first English factory and the agent and all that was not very appealing. And I couldn't see myself doing that uh, considering I'm new to finding yarns and I would be asking a lot of questions and um, I require a lot of communication. Getting a Chinese or overseas yarn, which is pretty much what all the recommendations were, would be not what I wanted. So I applied the same mindset of let's apply that to the yarn. Let's get a U.S. yarn so that way I can establish a relationship with the supplier. And what I had to do was I order their uh, sample cards and then you can get these strands of yarn, which identify, okay, these are all the yarns that we have and all these colors. And then you can pick what you want. So I did that again, new to yarns and much like fabric swatches. If you're new to that, it's very hard to tell from this tiny, you know, two inch by two inch uh, fabric swatch, how this is going to turn out when it's actually a suit or a pair of trousers. So same way, these were just tiny strands of yarn. I really no idea what this is going to be when actually knit into a sweater. So I asked the factory, well, I'm not really sure I'm new to this. Can you actually just make a couple swatches if I order the material? That way 
I can see what it's like as a swatch, which is a better representation than, again, maybe two um, strands of yarn. It's sure, it seemed like this was actually new to them. Again, they're probably working with folks who are experienced or able to just pick yarns really on by sight. What I like to do is, you know, I'm new to this, so I want to try and get more information if possible before I, I make any decisions because I know reversing decisions is always very difficult or undoing them. So rather than proceeding without understanding the ramifications, I, I want to at least see, okay, what is this yarn going to be like? Because I'm making sweaters and this product is going to be either all wrong from the get-go if I pick the wrong one or or we can avoid that. So fortunately, the factory obliged and, and they did that. And I was able, I got so many swatches and I was able to pick, okay, this one seems like it's going to be good. So it turns out it was actually really good when the sweater was made. I couldn't tell that at the time, but when I made the sweater, boy, that was a fantastic feeling sweater. I, again, praised all these vintage sweaters and how they feel. And this was not, I mean, it wasn't cashmere, it wasn't lambswool, it was merino, but I was skeptical. Well, the name is overused maybe uh, to some extent, or, or, or it's a very popular type of wool that's used everywhere from Target sweaters to high-end sweaters. And having seen it so many times at Target and Gap and other uh, cheaper places, I got the impression, well, merinos, well flimsy and, and not too good, right? Because I see it at these places and it doesn't feel substantial. Well, it turns out maybe you just have used a different sort of merino, kind of like how vintage lambs will seem different and same with cashmere. Uh, there must be different varying grades and quality of these things. So this was actually really good merino that uh, I thought was on par with some of these vintage lambs will vintage cashmere sweaters I had. And in fact, if you were following from the forums, probably saw a GIF that I had uploaded where I did a little test uh, on the sweater where I poured water on it and you could see the water droplets stick to the sweater as opposed to just get soaked in. Overall, this came out much better than I could have hoped for. From there, again, uh, I had just made this watch. I know I jumped a bit to the sweater, but I just made the swatches and I hadn't, I, I hadn't made a single sample and that's a whole bunch of steps I had to go through to even get to the point of making the sample. Again, finding multiple factories, then I had to get the knitwear designer, uh, then I had to source yarns, then I had to get swatches made. So I figure out which uh, yarn I actually wanted, then order the yarns. It was a lot of steps. Um, so I think that's one point of emphasis I want to um, talk about when you know I, I do these episodes is I know you all just see the end result. And to be honest, that's probably the most important thing, the, the end result and what it's like. However, I wanted to share all the things that go on up to that point because a lot of decisions have to be made. And I know it isn't directly maybe related to the sweater, but that's probably the most time-consuming part because all those decisions made, the end result is just, I think, the reflection of the process. So that's not to say I don't want to make a great end result, but I think the process of doing these things is how a great product comes about, um, at least sustainably. I mean, yeah, you can get lucky once and make something great, even if you did everything wrong. If you want to do something great consistently, sustainably, you really need a good process and to get those consistent results that you want. So I think as I've done more of these projects, I've learned I'm someone who is very detail-oriented and focused on the process because I know that's how I can get the end result I want. That's how I can control all these little things so I can get that end result, which is a reflection of my choices. So anyway, 
there we finally got to making the sweater the first sample and honestly it didn't come out exactly as i wanted so there was a couple things with these turtlenecks that i wanted that current contemporary turtlenecks i think do differently which uh, i'm not a fan of first of all i really dislike that set-in sleeve that pretty much all modern turtlenecks have the set-in sleeve is your standard sleeve which has a circular armhole seam if you've seen vintage sweaters you'll see that sometimes they have a saddle shoulder or or the seam is not in that circular in, in a circular shape at the armhole and i wanted something that was saddle shoulder um, so not the set and sleeve because i think the set and sleeve often um, maybe it's not directly related but for whatever reason i think there's a lot of focus or, or the eyes tend to focus on the outwards of the sweater on the outside on the, on the biceps and arms when you have those sort of sleeves uh, i think the focus of other people's eyes should be on the face and, and towards the center. So I think that saddle shoulder does a better job of directing attention to the center. And speaking of which, the second thing I dislike about modern contemporary turtlenecks is the neck, the flaccid, baggy, loose neck, which I guess is more common with women's turtlenecks, but can sometimes be found on men's is just abhorrible. It's just terrible. I wanted to make a neck that was form-fitting, that didn't have this loose look about it uh, and that wasn't another issue sometimes you feel like you have to fold the the neck portion more than once which is really uh, to me it doesn't seem to make sense i would i would just like it so it can be folded once and you don't have uh, excess material so the neck i think on many contemporary sweaters isn't right it isn't comfortable it isn't uh, what i would like it to be so because i think that that baggy flaccid loose neck also dis distracts people and focuses the attention there as opposed to the face so i thought Okay, let's modify that on, on our turtlenecks. I think the, the other thing is contemporary sweaters seem to be very long. That's not to say vintage ones are shorter. I mean, they maybe are a little shorter, but I th still think some of them can be very long. If you look at those 1950s sweaters, that are, they're like jackets. I think something shorter would give a little more shape. Again, I think the length sort of emphasizes the other people to look at the sweater's length and, and where it ends, which is generally at the hips, which doesn't give the wearer a whole lot of shape. And again, I think distracts the wearer from where they should be looking at. So that's what I wanted in this sample. And we sort of got there, sort of didn't. The saddle shoulder was actually a little trickier to get than I'd expected. It took another try, just maybe some of the general dimensions as well. Regardless, I thought as long as we make progress on every sample, I'm fine with that because as long as we're getting better every time, that's good enough for me. Unfortunately, I probably had the luxury of working with some factories previously, which that was fine for them. They weren't bothered. Maybe they just liked me. It didn't bother them that I made many, many, many samples uh, as opposed to the standard two samples uh, most designers do. Maybe they're very experienced or to me, more likely they just need the product. I think after making two samples, potentially, I think we even got to three, the factory uh, had there was a bit of tension between, I guess, not only the factory and, and me, but maybe even the knitwear designer who, again, was not used to working with an individual like me, much more used to working with bigger brands for a lot of those fashion week events where you make a one-off sweater. All in all, I think there was some tension because we were all maybe expecting something a little different and at different priorities. Obviously, the factory just wants production because that's efficient use of their time and resources, um, sampling, potentially loses the money. I'm not really sure the finances of that. The newer designer, again, just kind of working a bit of our element uh, with me and, and my idiosyncrasies. And me um, 
having this expectation because of the other factories I worked with that, oh, we just keep making samples until it's it's just right. I guess I don't work the same way as the professionals, which makes sense because as someone with a day job, I know the priorities in that job are not the same priorities that I have on these clothing projects. For one, your day job, hardly ever are you actually trying to get the best end result you can get and spend uh, as much time as you want on your projects. For those sort of jobs, it's all about getting something done, and that's the priority, as opposed to getting something done really, really well. And to spend extra time to make something better when something is good enough, almost frowned upon. So it's understandable that the way I was doing things was a little different and unfamiliar territory for everyone involved. So this probably caused a bit of resistance. And around that time, COVID hit. So around this time is also when I shared my progress on the forums. And around the time that's when COVID hit and when I followed up with the factory, it seemed like, well, everything's closed. Um, Our workers are are not here and we have no idea when we're going to get back. And when they actually did get back, they didn't get enough workers back. So some operations had to be trimmed, one of which was sampling, again, probably because it's the least profitable and they had a good portfolio of customers that they could just make orders. I don't fault them. That makes sense. It was a pandemic. It was a pretty challenging time. Again, I didn't know their finances, but I'm sure everyone um, was hurting at the time, especially small businesses. So it made sense for them to focus on what was profitable and what was best use of their time. So at that point, I did share that. And... That was the second death. And again, I think if COVID had not come, potentially there was tension about the sampling. So at probably some point that may have killed it as well. I'm not sure. COVID happened and that was enough to kill the project. Well, then I thought, okay, I shared the progress on these forums and I actually got some great feedback because normally I work everything alone. There's no one telling me I'm doing a good job or anything. And to get that feedback that says, oh, people might actually be interested. The work I'm doing is actually getting positive feedback. Maybe I should find someone else. And on the plus side, I have a couple samples, which got me partially there, but not 100%. So I'm already starting on a leg up. I know what yarns I want to use. I have my sources. So a lot of the legwork was already done. And I figured they'd make starting with a new factory a lot easier. And this is where I'm going to end on this episode because all the information I want to share about the new factory, I'm going to save for this next episode. So hopefully this was interesting about how I got started on the project and the behind the scenes look at what was going on. Take a listen to the next episode if you want to hear about what happened this week and what has led to the current situation of the Turtleneck Project.